The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. We want to welcome our online listeners this morning. As you know, we've been doing this incredible series on identity in Christ. I am so excited about the feedback that we're getting from around the world, from pastors and teachers that are embracing who they are in Christ. They're actually going to point of praying the selfers prayer, yielding their lives over to Jesus Christ so that there can be a true release of Christ in you, functioning through you, using your mind, your will, and your emotions, and then literally your physical body to demonstrate the literal acts of Jesus. So we are excited about all the work that you guys are doing internationally, and we do pray for you, uh, some of us even on a daily basis. Today's message is entitled, Discipline for for the Spiritual Area of Life. Repentance was the first. Repentance leads into... Identification in Christ, identification, once that is appropriated, leads to discipline. It is now taking action on the fact that you have been led to repentance and you are appropriating who you are in Christ and now you are ready to put it into action. So let's take a look at the details regarding the discipline for the spiritual area of life. Abiding in Christ, the indwell believers need to experiential uh, to experientially understand what it means to abide in Christ. It's probably the most relevant and necessary truth to embrace. And here's what I want us to do: to take a look at John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. That is John 15, verses 4 and 5. Here's what it says. Abide in me, and I in you. Abide in me, and I in you. Not with you, not for you, in you. Well, that is the condition of all of the New Testament. Right there in that small, tiny phrase. If you do not have the life of Jesus Christ indwelling your mortal body... The rest of this message is absolutely fruitless. You can listen to it. You can take notes. You can write things down. You certainly can pray about it. But you need to understand, if this first phrase is not in your life, this is nothing more than education. I refuse to accept the fact that non-believers... People who think that they're saved, Laodicean believers, are going to get this. I don't want you to get it. I want you to be to be missing the point because it takes the Holy Spirit in you to understand the truth that abides in you. This is not a human understanding thing. This is a mandate given to us by Jesus Christ. He's saying, Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit. What are one of the four requirements of proof of salvation? 
is, in fact, let's mention all four of them right now for our listeners. Number one, proof of salvation. You shall know them by their fruit. You shall know them by their deeds. You shall know them by their love. Those who endure to the end shall be saved. Those are the four proofs of purchase that Christ has actually purchased the right to indwell you. And he is saying this with this illustration. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So if you could just kind of imagine the picture of a branch attached to a grapevine, the fact that it is truly a part of that vine, that branch is going to bear the fruit that is required in the vine. It's not required in the branches. The branches is where the sap or the Holy Spirit comes out into. And the, the amazing thing about the, the illustration that Christ is using here is that sap always, 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 100% of the time, finds its way out to the furthest point of the branch. And the furthest point is when that sap keeps moving through the branch, it pushes and forces growth, and thus you have a growing branch. I have, a, I have a swing in front of my home and at night Jane and I sit on the swing and that glaring street light is beyond annoying. So I've been praying month after month that the branches of this oak tree would grow faster to cover that light so we could sit there at night and enjoy an evening without that bright light in our eyes. There's one thing I have to count on. As long as that tree is healthy in the root system, it's going to draw the nutrients from the ground up into that trunk and that sap is going to continue to push its way through every single branch and force growth and give fruit at the exact same time. That's what he's talking about. The branch doesn't pray for it, act like it, push for it. It just simply stays abiding in the, the uh, tree trunk, abiding in the vine. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do everything you want to do and that you can set your mind on. No, afraid not. This is a passage that a lot of people have memorized and they've written books about the fruit of the Spirit. They've written sermons on it. They've been preaching on it for generations. But for some reason, the very last phrase is not something that's preached on very much. He's making this very clear. If you are a branch, I in you is the Spirit of the living Christ which is the sap, moving its way out into that branch and dropping fruit as a result of obedience to the vine dresser. 
God's the vine dresser. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. The Holy Spirit is the in you part. And it is the sap that just is obedient to its design to move out and push growth into every single branch. So much growth, you're actually going to have to prune it. Yeah, actually prune the work of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that later. But apart from me, you can do nothing. That doesn't, that covers brushing your teeth. That covers getting up in the morning. That covers getting into your wheelchair. That covers putting a shirt onto that stump that you have. That covers absolutely everything needs to be done through the abiding life of Jesus Christ. It cannot be made any clearer than this, folks. By making use of the Lord's illustration here, abiding means being connected to the branch to a vine. Possessing no independent life of Godship of its own, but drawing moment by moment upon the life of the vine for strength, nourishment, and power to bear fruit and live day to day. There must be no splitting of the projector. No, there must be no splitting or cutting that would cause the branch to be anything less than perpetual participation with the sap or the Holy Spirit that flows freely through the vine for function, growth, and purpose of living. I mean, just from one illustration, one illustration of Jesus Christ, you have the entire exchange life explained to you. From Matthew to the end of the book of Revelation. If you don't get this piece, you certainly are not going to get the rest of it. It's impossible. Here's our Hebrew word for today. Abiding. So in our Hebrew, we're going to need one, two, three, four Hebrew kids. Okay, so we have teeth, nails, and water, and a redhead. Now, how's that for a Hebrew mix? So, sheen is to consume or destroy, and that's the teeth. So, as you're eating something, you are consuming it, obviously, to break it down to become nutrition. Then you have vav, which is the nails, it's to add something to your life or it's to secure something. There's nothing that can be built that does not need to be secured. Then you have mem, which is water, which is chaos, which means massive. And then we have resh, which is a person, the head, the highest. And it actually literally translates out as a redhead. So the red heifer in the end times and all that is basically a Hebrew word picture of what is required for the final days even. But it's the head. We put all that together and here's what we got. We have to consume the massive highest, which is the Godhead. So to consume the massive highest, so if consume is like eating, you're breaking it down by the use of the teeth, which is what the word means, you're breaking it down so you can consume it 
so you can ingest it, so it can be digested, so it, so it can become life to you. So we are consuming the highest, which is God Himself. He is the Godhead. We are consuming, we are ingesting, we're digesting, so that we can abide. And that's what abiding is. It's not just a branch. Have you ever noticed a branch on a tree that is not abiding? It's dead. It's got to be cut off. So truly abiding is that consumption. It is, it is taking in the nutrition of the primary, which is the vine, and it's the vine dresser's responsibility to make sure that vine is healthy. That is our Hebrew word for today. Abiding, Hebrew, to consume the massive highest, which is the Godhead. So let's talk about being hidden in Christ. So the above truth for the indwell holds the secrets to, the, to uh, victorious living. Jesus Christ is the believer's very life. So as we read earlier, Colossians 3.3 tells us, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So here's the crazy thing about this, guys, is that you literally have to die in order to have the privilege to be a part of this grapevine. So here's what I think has happened to the world over is that the enemy has deceived the average quote-unquote church member to think that pew setting, studying your Bible, doing the right things, puts you as one of these branches. And the reality is that the Word tells us that there are certain people that are just dead branches. And these dead branches have to be cut off and thrown into the fire. Now this is Jesus Christ saying this with his own illustration. What he's telling us there is actually a, he's communicating what's going to happen in the end. That there's going to be a tree filled with branches and most of them, 90% of them are going to be dead. He's going to cut them off and throw them into the fire of hell and burn them for eternity. And if that doesn't sober you up in regard to your prayer life, and if that doesn't sober you up in regard to looking at your own life, please do not think that you're one of these indwelt Christians that thinks they're saved when you are actually a dead branch that's going to be burned. That is one game you don't want to play. That is one game you don't want to learn on the other side. But I thought I was. And Jesus looks at you and goes, but I don't know you. You weren't a part of my vine. So here's what the enemy has convinced people to do, is to make a trip to Walmart and to buy some plastic fruit. And then you go over to the, the uh, glue aisle and you pick up some super glue. Get the gel type because that works best. And then go home and you take this plastic fruit and this super glue and you glue this fruit onto, onto your mortal being. It looks like you're saved. It looks like you got fruit of the Spirit. 
I mean, if you've seen some fruit and leaves and silk stuff that they make today, it looks actually better than and than the real deal. And how many times have we walked up to something and said, is that real? That's our church. But the only time you really find out if it's real or not is you touch it or you try to eat it. Then you realize real quick, this person is a little too touchy. I'm telling you, the only way to find out if indwelt believers are truly indwelt is to persecute them, suffer them. Jesus Christ himself said, For I learn to be obedient through the things that I suffered. You find out if someone is a real Christian, truly indwelt, truly attached to the vine, by going up, taking God taking his pruning shears, and cutting off that branch, pieces of the branch. That's our lives he's talking about. You don't just prune dead, you prune growth. Is that not true? Prune growth, you get more growth. Well, that is a true test between God the Father and a self-proclaimed Christian to find out if they're truly indwelt. It doesn't say, ouch, unless it has sap in the branch. Do you understand that? It doesn't say, ouch, unless there is sap in the branch. Because otherwise it's just dead. Have you ever tried to share Christ with a dead person? Their responses are just, whatever. They're so tired and callous to evangelism, they're like, what? whatever. They're dead. Well, the closer we get to the end times, the more that the vine dresser is going to be snapping off branches. Because the result of taking all the dead branches off of that tree, we're going to have what? The tree of life. Pure, true life coming from the foundation up through that trunk into those branches and that tree just filled with fruit of righteousness. So not only the old nature died, but we are now hidden with Christ in Him. We are given everything pertaining to life and life abundantly. Abiding in Him means walking with Him in harmony. To do this, accepting the fact that the only reason we have resources to live the Christian life each day is by what comes through the vine into the branches, which is provided by the sap, which is the Holy Spirit. And this is why the Holy Spirit had to be placed within the indwell believer, for without this reality, we simply would not be connected to the vine, meaning we would, be, we would not be saved. And if you're not saved, there's no way to have true fruit unless you make a trip to Walmart. Now, plastic fruit's relatively cheap, so you can get a real good deal, particularly if you go on the right day with the right sales. Now, it sounds like I'm making fun of the, the average local church today, but actually the illustration I'm trying to use with you is the best illustration I can come up with. When I drive through a town and I see these little churches, I don't get all excited. I, I get burdened. Because I wonder how many of these churches truly understand what it means to be abiding in Christ. How many people in these fellowships 
are suffering with, I think I'm saved but I'm not saved, but I don't know if I'm not saved, and I'm not sure I'll determine if I am or am not saved, so therefore I'll just sit in the pew. Maybe I'll get it before I die. The more you listen to truth without the truth having an indwelt change in your life, the more calloused you get to the truth. You don't believe me? Look at Western civilization. We are the most calloused, lukewarm people in the entire world. Q sent me an article this week about what is going on with the potential of our government. And a statement at the end of that article blew me away about, I've been saying it for years, but to actually hear a, a political advisor actually come out and say it was new to me. But the article basically closed with a quote about here the America claims to be the freest country in the entire world, but their politics is continuing to prove that they are a country that is in pure bondage. We claim to be free, but our freedom and the claiming of that freedom creates bondage. Well, that's what we've been saying for, for months now, is he who demands to be right gets a wrong. People who demand their rights end up being wrong in the end. And the whole world looks at us as being wrong. Why? Because we have too many freedoms. Well, if I was God, God forbid, I would certainly turn that nation into being so incredibly dependent on Him for everything to help them understand they can do absolutely nothing without abiding in Christ. No politics will save you. No churches will save you. No programs will save you. No recoveries are going to save you. Nothing will work for you unless... You're abiding in Christ. That's what the passage says. That's what I would do to the country. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that's exactly what he is doing to the country. But what is happening to most people is they're demanding more of their rights as they're losing touch with we the people. I think it's time for everyone who's listening to this podcast, if you're in America, certainly to please wake up and listen to this. You're not free. You are in bondage. And you can claim all the civil rights you want. You can claim the Constitution as many times as you want. So you can stand on constitutional rights all you want and you're still going to get it wrong. So you say, well, what are we supposed to do? Just lay back and, and suffer being rolled over by things that are unconstitutional? You can definitely tell, share, speak to people about what is unconstitutional, but you cannot demand those rights. You are the rights of heaven. You are seated at the right hand of God, the government. You are to set your affections on things above, not on things of this earth. If you set your affections on trying to save the country while you send your neighbor to hell because you refuse to share with them the true freedom, the true salvation, and true righteousness, then 
you are truly deceived. There are more Christians spending time arguing, fussing, debating over the rights of the Western civilization than there are of those same people sharing the truth with someone else that will truly set them free. I am not in bondage to sin, but I can choose to sin. I am not in bondage to any government leader, but I can choose to act as if I am. I am not in bondage to any church, but I can act as if I am. Do you see how it works? We are truly the free ones to display true freedom to the entire world. It has nothing to do with governments. It has nothing to do with constitutions. This is not a Christian nation. We never have been one. We are a religious freedom country. That all religions have the right and privilege to do whatever it is that they teach and preach and believe in by function. We're just one of the groups. But I don't know if you've noticed something. Out of the 250 primary religions represented in this freedom of religion country, we are the group, for some reason, that gets persecuted and distressed and ignored and pushed to the background daily. Why? Because we do not claim our freedom here. Whereas many of these other religions have connected their freedom to territory. What they own. So everyone's fighting for territory. In order to fight for territory and win territory, you've got to use your religious rights to get that done. That's what you're seeing in the news every day. Christians, I'm telling you, Indoal Christians, this is not your home. Your citizenship is in heaven. You are seated at the right hand of God through Christ Jesus. You are looking down on this earth. You are looking down on the tomb. You're looking down on co-crucifixion. You're looking down on the world's problems. You are free. You are detached. You are not a part of this system. So quit demanding your rights to turn this earth into a heaven. It's not going to work. It's going to be torched. God's going to take his snipping tools off and cut off this old earth and he's going to burn it in the pit of fire. He's not trying to save it. He's trying to save the children on it. You understand that? You should just calculate how much time you spend on issues in your life versus the real meal deal, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with not only your neighbor, but your politician. And there's a certain group of people that really only contact certain people because they know they're going to get the truth. They're not going to be walking through the park talking about policies and, and debating the concept of should the government do this or should whatever. It's a simple truth. You're going to hell unless you know Jesus Christ as an abiding member of the vine. Are you or are you not an abiding member of the vine? I know there's a lot of political listeners now because for some reason... The closer we get to the end times final hours, the more curious that those people are who have been sitting on the edges listening to these prophet teachers and they're starting to realize this stuff's really happening. 
I mean, what you said five years ago is actually happening. Yeah, it's written out for us. It's done. It's a finished work. Your next step is a critical step. Are you going to go back and fight politics? Or are you going to step into the living life of Jesus Christ? Everything is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything, every political move, every political leader, everything is for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything is. We can't do anything without being attached, abiding in the vine. Can't do anything. Means no politics. No means no debates. Means no explaining things. If if life is not shared from an exchange life point of view, what's the point to develop smarter Christians? We have a country that has the smartest Christians in the entire world, but for some reason, the entire world is looking at us as rather stupid. Stupid is the definition of stupid is is knowing the truth but not able to or not willing to carry that truth forward. That is stupid. And we know the truth. We've heard the gospel over and over and over and over. Weekly, daily, podcasts, radio stations, books. It's endless what the Western culture has got out there. And what are we getting as a result of it? Very, very few salvations every week. There's something wrong with this picture. Then we get emails from... Leaders from other countries that they get up in the pulpit and they share these truths. And we have people falling on their faces before God because they haven't heard such clear, pointed, sincere truth presented to them. Whereas the average American listener is simply saying, well, this is an interesting message. That's why I don't spend the majority of my ministry time to be perfectly blunt with you. I do not spend the majority of my ministry time focusing on Americans. I'm sorry. Have you ever tried to make a pathway through a bowl of jello? Stay with me here. Particularly those of you who are listening here in America. America has become like a bowl of jello. It tastes good, it looks good, sounds good. You can even put a little fruit in it. A bowl of jello. Serves a lot of great tasting looking stuff to it. But if you go to try to make a pathway through that jello, it just folds in around itself as you're trying to make your pathway through that jello. That is what's going to happen to well over 90% of church attenders this morning. They're going to leave their churches and they're 10, 15 minutes, an hour. As soon as they get to that meal time, then right after that's the nap time, right after that is, it's just folded in. And then when you pull that Christian forward and you say, tell me what the morning message was about. They can't do it. It even happens here. To be able to hang on to truth like it is something that is such a precious commodity is gone. You see, when you sip on a sermon, it should be like so hot that you got to like, oh, you want it to cool down enough so you can drink it? Same thing with a glass of iced tea. You kind of like those ice cubes to keep it cold. So when you sip it, it is refreshing. Or if it's hot, it's like drinking a cup of hot coffee. You want it steaming hot. Anything in between? Thank you, Pastor, for such an interesting sermon. Interesting? How? What happened to life-changing? What happened to spirit bearing witness with spirit to change you? 
What happened to that? Interesting. What, should I write a book about it? So you can read it and put it on your bookshelf? God's not interested in interesting. He is interested in transformation. The Word of God is alive. It's active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It can divide the soul from the spirit, the joint from the marrow. It's able to judge every thought and every intention of the heart. That's what scriptures do. It doesn't fold in around you when you leave the, the fellowship that morning. That is an emergent believer. Here's the miracle. Christ living within the believer provides the beliefs through the mind of Christ, which enables us to walk with Him and abide in the divine. No human can understand this simple truth without the Spirit making it evident within them. We are able to walk in the light because He is in the light. I want to give you a real-to-life demonstration of this. I am so glad that I get emails and text messages from people from around the world. And as I, as I get some emails from leaders and I, I read that they do not understand the exchange life message, but I can read within one paragraph that they have this sense of their spirit bearing witness with the fact that this is truth. And they want more. They want it explained. They want it, they, they want to get this to their people so they understand that their pastor needs to have adequate understanding. So my response is not sending them an article or this and that yet, because that's usually what hooked them. I gotta find out, is this person a part of the vine? So I will say, you know, Pastor DeGaulle, please send me your testimony. In fact, I do that so often, it's an auto-canned response in my emails. And all I got to do is push on click, and it will send them an email from me that says, thank you for your email, thank you for your interest in the exchange life, but I have to know something first. Share your story of when Christ went from outside to inside your mortal body. And if I get an email back that says, what? I've already got my box checked. Ten minutes. But if they come back with this testament, this story of how Christ went from external to internal, and the, 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 all the peanut butter and the jelly and everything that comes with it, the stories, the life, the taste of their salvation, then I go, okay, i got a couple things I want you to do before we start this process. That's how it works. But if they're as dead as the, the nail that was supposed to secure them to the cross, what's the point? You know, I know that there's a lot of rejection for some of us into our believers, particularly those who are in leadership, that really do cling to God for discernment on who I should invest my life with, who I should not invest my life with. Because every hour, every minute, every second belongs to the Lord. And so there's just simply certain times when God says to me, 
Do not invest your life in this person. Do not invest your life in this church. Do not invest your life in this community. Do not invest your life into whatever. And I'll get accusations because of it. The simple fact is, is why pour life into dead branches? But if I simply focus my time on those who are like this, it says, you know, I'm not sure I get it, but there's something here. Well, I'm just one person. You're just one person. And if you focus your time on those who want life, they're going to get life. You focus forcing sap into a dead branch, you tell me what the result will be. Dead people are dead, and they're not going to get it until the Spirit of the living God says, I'm about to cut off your old nature and give you a new budding life in Christ. It's not turning life into the old branch It is cutting it off and giving you a new budding life. That's why I believe the old earth must be burned permanent. And a new budding, a new life, a new planet is given for the bride of Christ. It stays with the complete foundational teachings of the three phases of salvation. Okay, here's 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all of our sins. Now, what is one of the names of Jesus? I am the, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. So now we're going to reread this. Stay with me on this. Listen very carefully. If we say that we have fellowship with the life and truth, yet walk in darkness, the liar, the father of lies, we lie and do not practice Jesus Christ. But if we walk in the life and light of Jesus Christ, as he himself walks in his own life, We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all of our sins. John happened to be Jesus' beloved. First John is actually, from my perspective, the most confrontive book in the entire New Testament. It completely goes in the face of grace. Should I sin that grace may abound? This book is written by the beloved of Jesus Christ, who Jesus himself gave his own mother to as he was hanging on the cross. He said, Mother, meet your son. Son, meet your mother. Do you realize that he went against Hebrew code? His mother should have been given to Jesus' half-brother, James. James should have been given to supervise his mother. But that wasn't the case. Jesus gave his mother his number one responsibility as a son representing his father who had died, obviously, or he wouldn't have gone through this trans, uh, this transference of responsibility. But he actually gives his most precious commodity earthwise to his beloved John. John comes along and he writes the first John and it is poignant 
with unbelievable stuff of testing whether you're truly abiding in Christ. And what does it boil down to? I'm not interested in your talk. I'm interested in your walk. He wasn't saying that we had to have perfect human walking after the Spirit experiences. But he is looking for the justice scale. Does Stephen spend more time walking after the Spirit or walking after the flesh, darkness? That's the scale. And if it's more darkness than the life of Christ, John makes it very clear what's going on. You're not in Christ. It's an insult. The whole book is an insult to me when I'm walking after the flesh. The whole book is an absolute incredible gift of God when I am walking after the Spirit. I have a 13-year-old that I am discipling. Comes in once a week from out of town. And we are going verse by verse, phrase by phrase, through First John. And I am watching a 13-year-old young man literally be transformed before my eyes. This book will reveal the perfect balance between law and grace. Every Christian should study it. Backwards and forwards. It is the proof of being indwelt by the living God. And John knew it. And Jesus knew it to assign two primary responsibilities of Jesus. One being his mother. Someone please tell me what the second one was. If anyone messes with it, they're going to be taken out of the book of life. Does that sound familiar? The book of Revelation. That mandate is not given to the entire Bible. That's why God has tolerated so many translations that we're not even sure what a translation is anymore. It's the book of Revelation. You mess with that, you're in trouble. If you don't understand it, you say, I don't understand it. If you're not quite sure, just say, I'm not quite sure. It's okay to make stands and positions and teachings on it, but don't go messing with it. And that responsibility was given to Jesus' beloved. Who's a significant friend to Jesus? It's because I believe that John understood the heart of Jesus. And the perfect balance between law and grace. You take law away and you don't have salvations anymore. Why don't we see salvations in American churches anymore? Because they've removed the law. They've removed black and white teachers, preachers, hellfire and damnation preachers are of the past. The law is needed and grace is needed. And then the perfect balance between law and grace happens to be signed on as Jesus Christ. So to truly abide in Christ by practicing means to experience Christ's life flowing through our very being. It is to know his resources in the place of our weaknesses. It will take discipline of Christ's thoughts to take hold of this. Once we behold such truths, such Jesus, true fellowship, Jesus' fellowship will be manifested. True and honorable worship of God is perhaps one of the rarest commodities in the church today. The church today sings songs, shouts statements of praise, and confesses open worship of Him without truly understanding the Spirit within us is who desires to worship with His Father. Jealousy. James 4, 5. James was Jesus' half-brother. Here's what he said. Or do you not think that the Scriptures speak to no purpose? 
He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell on the outside of you, in us. He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. And it's even put before us as a question, like, don't you get this? This isn't about you and that God loves you and his grace covers you and you're... This isn't about you. It's about God having relationship with the Spirit who indwells you. That simple. The other stuff has got to be dealt with so he can have this. So we're constantly provoking God to be jealous by walking after our flesh. All this is dependent on our discipline of joining Christ in us to believe his beliefs he retains between the Father and himself. There's a certain order of beliefs that Jesus has with his Father, and we, since he is in us, we join his beliefs in regard to his Father. Well, that pretty much throws your opinion out the window. So when someone says, well, my opinion on that verse is, I don't really care what your opinion is. I don't care if you got seven degrees to describe that opinion to me. Your opinion is absolutely fruitless. What I want to know is what Jesus believes with his Father and what the Father believes with his Son. And then when that mind of Christ is put inside you, all the mind of Christ is the same in every bridal member around the entire world. I experience that every week in my ministry. People contacting me saying, that is the truth. You're speaking the truth. You know the truth. This is the truth. And I've never met him. Because the mind of Christ has the same sermon in every believer all over the world. This constantly changing topics and preaching on topics is making the church lukewarm. If our attitudes, motives, concentration as worshipers become anything less than this, flesh will need to muster up worship to offer the Father. Which, by the way, he doesn't even accept. If you think you're standing there singing and you're trying to muster up because you've had a bad week and you're trying to muster up, holy, holy, forget it. Stand there in silence. It's better off. Quit offering fake fruit. If you need to, to come in contact with true worship, get your heart right in the first song. Get released. Then when you lift your hands, you're truly lifting your hands because the Spirit is raising your hands. Because you can do nothing unless you abide in Christ. You can't even lift your hands in worship. It's impossible. Concluding our mental and personal, attitudinal and mechanical forms of worship distract from allowing the life of Christ within us to actually have true worship with the Father. To worship God in the spirit of truth must surely speak of what it says. Let the spirit of truth worship freely through us as indwell believers of Jesus, of truth. This can only be done by disciplining our minds to yield to the mind of Christ within us and be one with the spirit at all times. If you're in a conversation, you're getting ready to argue with someone. As some of you know who have contacted me, I just won't argue with you. 
I've had accusations put against me so many times it's ridiculous because I was avoiding the truth or answering their question, whatever. But I have been a fool way too many times to step into fruitless discussions. We cannot, we should not, and I will not step into fruitless discussions if I have the Holy Spirit saying to me, shut your mouth. Stay silent. Jesus was silent the most when he was with government authorities. Was he not? And then when one government authority said, do you realize what I can do to you? Because he wouldn't answer him. Stayed silent. And what did Jesus say to this uh, government leader? You can do nothing to me that my Father has not already granted you permission to do. Now, if that is not just flat out clear, that God is in control of every form of persecution, every insult, everything there is that we face every single day. Joining ourselves with him, 1 Corinthians 6.17 says, But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit in him. Now, I want to rephrase this using Greek and Hebrew definitions. But the one who joins himself becomes one with Jesus Christ, who is our Lord, who is our owner, landlord, He is our owner. He owns us. Is one truth. Is one spirit. Is one mind. Is one life. Is one light. Not tons of opinions worldwide. I want you to ask yourself a question before the Lord this week. You don't need to answer now. But if you had to pick one message that you believe the Spirit of the living God would like to preach in every church next Sunday, all over the world, email me or text me what message you believe the Spirit would want preached. I'm telling you that would be such an incredible opportunity for me to share with you some things that I believe has happened globally with the Spirit, with the church, with the Bride of Christ. There's only several desires a woman has. But I'm going to leave it at that. Because your answer, I am very interested in. I want to read your answer. I want to hear it. Because I do believe that the Spirit would speak one message internationally through every bridal member at one time. That would almost make Jesus the preacher. Not me representing the preacher. So send me those emails, please. I would uh, love to read them. By joining ourselves with the indwelling life of Christ, we are able to experientially understand what it really means to be one spirit with him. His spirit is the Holy Spirit. And housing of the Holy Spirit is indwell believers. What an incredibly privilege. We can be released to a practical living of not I, but Christ. Here's our Identity Matters statement. Now that we understand the Spirit of God has been commissioned by the Father to have freedom in us to worship in unity, we can magnify Him through our adoration and through our lips, with our character, power, presence of our husband, can return right back to the Heavenly Father. So you see, abiding in Christ is at the core of our being. For without true, in Christ's life understanding of abiding, 
It is impossible to please him, let alone worship him in spirit and truth. Discipline comes from the root word disciple, and disciple is the label we are given by our husband to identify ourselves as bridal members. To be disciplined is to be is to function as an honorable, obedient servant of our teacher, our husband, Jesus Christ. Plain and simple. God is going to touch lives this week. There's a movement of the Spirit worldwide. And I, I cannot thank God enough, and I do it a lot, but I cannot thank Him enough that I have an international perspective. I am not trapped by this town. I am not trapped by a little church, local church. I am not trapped by opinions of people around me. My mind is so far out there every day, 24 hours a day, that my complete function as a bridal member is global, without question. And I know that the bride of Christ as a whole is supposed to be global. The church is all over the world. It's in remote bush areas. It's in high rises. It's in, you know, billionaire Bible studies on the, on the 102nd floor of a building. It's all over the world. Can you imagine what would happen if we really united in truth and spirit? I'll tell you exactly what would happen. The Antichrist would come out of the forest. As soon as the body of Christ truly unites, and I know it's in God's perfect timing, the Antichrist is stepping out of the darkness. He will not have blood coming out of the corner of his mouth. He will not look like something on a Halloween commercial. He's going to look like something out of a pulpit. He's going to be beautiful. He's going to have piercing blue eyes. He's going to be have the kind of skin that's a little bit Italian, a little bit of Africa, a little bit of India, a little bit of America, a little bit. He is going to be absolutely an angel of light. So if you're hunting for some dark, disturbed government leader, then you are not properly informed. And he will step out of darkness because not it's his timing to unite the world. It's because the true indwelt believers of Jesus Christ are catching on. And he will be threatened. And he will be angry. But he will hold that anger on the inside. And he will let that anger come out in global control. And guess out of the 250 religions, primary religions, who's going to be at the bottom of the pile? Not Christians. Mormons call themselves Christians. Christians call themselves Christians. We have a president that calls himself a Christian. It's indwelt believers. People who are truly abiding in Christ. He hates your guts. He hates you. Because he can't manipulate Christ. He can't change Christ. He can't reform Christ. He can't turn him into falling at his feet. He tried all that. It doesn't work. And it shouldn't work with you. So it is a day-by-day learning of embracing the cross because we do throw ourselves at the feet of the angel of light and show worship to him. We shouldn't. We are true indwell believers. 
But you know what? If there's more of this truth, life of Christ being evident in you than darkness, that is evidence you truly are an indwelt believer. But if you're not, don't suppress the truth. Don't lie to yourself. Don't lie against the truth. Don't lie to Christ. If you're not sure you're saved, you need to get to someone and get that tested. We can do it online. We can do it offline. Most pastors can walk you through this process. If you're not getting straight answers from your pastors, please, please, please email me at sphinney, S-P-H-I-N-N-E-Y, at I-O-M, M as a man, iomamerica.org. Or you can just simply go to our website, click on the contact information, and I have that set up in such a way those emails come right to my desk. Ask the question, am I really saved? Do I really have the life of Christ living inside me? And we will do whatever we can do in Christ Jesus to help you find the discernment of that question. But if you're defensive, having someone test your salvation, you're already confessing something to me. That's the facts. Father, we thank you for the blessed privilege of being able to share your truth that literally sets us free. Every one of us here, online and offline, are experiencing disbelief in areas of our lives. And we pray, Father, that the weight of truth, the weight of light, the weight of the life of Christ in us will push forward to the point it leaves us. These lies would leave us. And we would walk more and more in who we truly are in Christ, abiding in His life. So the sap, the Holy Spirit, will freely flow through Christ into our branches and finally into the grapes. We thank you, praise you, honor you for the truth, for the life, and certainly for our husband, Jesus Christ. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at IOMAmerica.org. That's IOMAmerica.org.